Welcome to The Pestle. Reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by Jim Carrey's Existential Crisis. Let's dim the lights and start the show. Hey, welcome everybody to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by The Manny. It's funny because it's a male nanny. Welcome to The Pestle. Uh, I am Wes. And I am Todd. And this is a show where we like to dig in and talk about films in a very specific way, not just talking about what we think about them, but also try to look for interesting filmmaking insights uh, to hopefully, I don't know, speak to us on a new level. I always think it's more interesting, I guess, to walk away with some little tidbit that's like, oh, I hadn't even thought about it in that way, because anybody, can, I guess, can just talk about movies. Oh, yeah, this scene was really good, but... Uh, what about, you know, the way that it was filmed or the way that uh, it spoke on a thematic level or symbolic level? I think digging into those areas make us better movie lovers. Yeah. Exactly. You know, and I, and I love that uh, in the same way that a chef probably really enjoys going to a two-star Michelin restaurant, you know. It, Do they? That's a good question. That is a good question. I wonder because if they do. Because as a musician, I never liked going to shows. <laughs> I mean, it was yeah, it had to be a really good show to get me out. True. So, so you go to a Radiohead show would probably be like, oh. Oh, yeah. I guess that's the two-star aspect. Uh, yeah, so okay. maybe you're right. Maybe. Maybe. Mm-hmm. But maybe they go there and they're like, screw this, man. I can do this. This is garbage. <laughs> maybe the good chefs. Ooh. wouldn't like the two star chefs yeah. go to a two star <laughs> restaurant probably. like why i'll just cook my own dinner <laughs> that's awesome so today we're doing stranger things seasons one and two nice uh if you haven't already seen it go check it out because, because everything that we say after this is going to be spoilers yeah. so <laughs> really please. quick mm-hmm. it'll be coming uh we'll be talking about a lot of things the title sequence composition camera work pacing themes and a whole lot more. I think uh, largely we'll be talking a lot about the differences between season one and two and why that may be good or bad. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, we haven't talked about this at all. I literally all. just finished the second season yeah. 20 minutes ago. So we don't know what each other thinks about I season two. I have no idea what you think. This is going to be at all. so much fun. But to be honest, I'm not even sure if I know what I think yet. <laughs> so, uh, But let's let's jump into the synopsis here. Uh, when a young boy disappears, his mother, a police chief, and his friends must confront terrifying forces in order to get him back. Uh, it's created by the Duffer Brothers, starring Millie Bobby Brown as Eleven, Winona Ryder as Joyce Byers, David Harbour as Jim Hopper, Finn Wolfhard as Mike Wheeler, Gatton M- Matt Arazzo. Matt Arazzo? Yeah, that sounds right. Uh, as Dustin, Caleb McLaughlin as Lucas. It's Will. It's really Will. Mike? Mike? Mike what? You're supposed to help us find him alive. You said he was alive. Why did you lie to us? What's wrong with you? What is wrong with you? Mike. What? Hey, come on, don't do this, man. Mike! Mike, where are you going? Mike! Mike. 
love that scene so much for so many reasons, but I think it exemplifies all the great things that they do in season one. Can you can you give a synopsis of what that scene is? So that scene is at the end of episode three, or chapter three, season one, where they've gone out looking for, for Will, who is in the Upside Down, um, or at least has been taken, actually. At this point, he's yeah. been taken. We don't know what's going right. on with Will. And he's being told by Eleven that he's still alive, um, and... Suddenly, they see these cop cars zoom by Will's house. They follow the cop cars to this lake, and they're pulling Will's body out of the lake. Right. And that's a really big shock uh, for for Mike because he's the he's really the only person in the group at this point who believes in L um, in Eleven. And Lucas doesn't. Uh, Dustin is kind of on the fence. Like, yeah, he's yeah. he's negotiating both sides of that that territory. But I love that scene because it's doing a number of things. It's turning us. We keep kind of having this pivot, or or we keep getting these these fragments of an equation. Right. This whole season is one big mystery. And every time we think we understand something or think we we see where this is going, something new happens that that makes us say, wait, I don't understand anymore what's going on. Because at this point, uh, we've had Joyce, who's been in contact with Will. And then you have Eleven saying, yeah, I know where this guy is. And she flips over the uh, the Dungeons and Dragons board and says, you know, Will. And they're like, oh, uh, okay, so we need to go find him. You know, he's somewhere. And and then suddenly, he's being pulled out of the out of the river, out of the lake. And now you're saying, well, then who is who's who's his mom talking to? Uh, who's who's she communicating with? Why is Elle saying that he's a thing, that he's alive, and she knows where he is uh, in her own, you know? silent way and now he's dead so is he really dead is he uh, is he a ghost is he haunting them um you're still trying to wrap your head around this universe and you have no and all you have are questions by this time all you have are questions because you start to think oh i have an answer now um whenever l's flipping that board over she's like she's presenting an idea that there's an answer and you're trying, you're getting this cloud is starting to formulate into something and then it completely dissipates. So quick question. Do you, does it make you think, cause when I watched that, I never, I never really thought that he was dead no. because they just introduced us to him. Like, yeah, I mean, it was like, okay, the premise, what it told me was the premise is he's taken. Yeah. Like that's what I always thought. I, mm-hmm. So when the, the suspense for me in that scene was really built from the edit and from the, the music. Yeah. More so than like, and I, and the character's reaction to right. you know, his re- reaction 100%. to thinking that yeah. now, Oh my gosh, he is dead mm-hmm. now. Um, because now we're, yeah. we're on that roller coaster with Mike as he's buying in. Finally, we're buying in. Because right. he's been trying to rally the troops a little bit, and and once he believes, now we're believing. I was believing. So for me, I was I was genuinely confused. I remember thinking, "Well, crap, is he dead? Is he only kind of dead? Can they bring him back?" Uh, he's only mostly dead. He's only mostly dead. <laughs> mostly I thought dead. maybe uh, 
they were going to have to get him back to his body or something. Like this whole thing was confused because at this point we still don't know anything about the upside down. Uh, right. That's completely off the table. So yeah, that that exemplifies, I think, season one's narrative of answer question, answer question, and every time you're you're stretched thin, you're ready for a new answer. Um, they give you one that comes with its own question. Uh, yeah, and it's perf- The pacing of season one is. It's a master class, honestly, in execution and writing and and a little bit of theme. Like I'm you know me, I'm really, really big on themes and looking for them and exploring them and seeing how the the story ties in. And it does here. But it's not I don't think it's super hardcore. They tie it in really nicely in season one in a way that is it's gentle and it comes at the right moments without being overbearing because season one to me is really a horror mystery mm. and yeah, how, how, how so for, uh, you? for me, I'm looking at it like, so you have alien, the, the original film, right? Where it's all about the suspense of the dark. Um, in season one, you have, you have your monster that you don't understand, but slowly you're getting the rules of the monster. Every good horror movie really should be underpinned with rules. Um, I think we may have touched on that a little bit in a previous podcast, yeah. but they do that really well here. They, they have their rules and they stick to them really, really well. I wouldn't say they're pristine about it because in, in one sense, uh, maybe, maybe the, uh, the monster doesn't eat will <laughs> the same way that he eats Barb. Yeah, no, seriously. <laughs> like in the first one, he the monster kept people alive. Yeah, not all, not everybody. Not everybody, but he kept some people alive. He drags them into the uh, Will, the upside yeah. down. Yeah, and then he kills them or does whatever he's going to do with them. Yeah, Will managed to break away and hide, uh, and so you get a sense that this monster has limitations. Yeah, but he also has triggers, and they they you know kind of suss that out with the shark theory of blood in the water and it can sense it and it's activated with that. And it comes and goes because of what happened in the department of energy. They opened the rip and now this monster has access to, to earth or our dimension. And so there's, there's these really solid grounded horror rules that are laced in with the mystery of Will's disappearance because anytime you have a disappearance, that's inherently a, a mystery, and you have these Hardy Boys, right, who are going through and trying to solve it. Yeah. Um, and there's just all these really great parallel paths that are being taken that they intersect at just the right moments before they divest again. So you have the uh, the mother and the sheriff; they're doing their thing. You have Nancy and Jonathan Byers, um, who are brother and sister to Will and Mike, and then you have the boys. Doing yeah. their own thing, yeah. Um, and and L joining the group, so you have these three main storylines. You have all these really great adversaries. You have the, the school bullies. Uh, you have the the G men, right? The government agency and the creepy Matthew Modine uh, mm. is just yeah. great. It's awesome. <laughs> you have the Demogorgon, um, and then maybe, in a sense, you have the, uh, it's a theme, but I think it's also a little bit of an adversary with the fathers. Um, you have Will's dad, who's completely absentee. 
you have Papa, right? Matthew Modine. And you have Mike's, uh, or Will's, Will's dad is, is not, he's an absentee dad, but he's also a bit of a, of an ass. Mm-hmm. Um, he's kind of a bane in the family. And so he feels like he wants to do otherwise. And Mike has his absentee dad who's home, who's just not really present. And so I think that's interesting too, because I don't see this as a, as a coming of age story. I don't see that kind of growth in that arc. Um, but you have some of those same elements of, partially in, invested parents like uh joyce's yeah. uh will mike's god they're all these names are so simple this, that, yeah i know <laughs> they blend. well mike yeah yeah Single uh, syllable names you have miss byers <laughs> who's really the only active parent and then of course hopper who yeah. is stepping in as a father as a as a father who still cares even though his daughter is no longer gone and that's the storyline. No that longer I, there. Yeah, she's, she's gone. She's dead. And yeah, yeah. Uh, I love the way they lightly bring that in here and there. Yep. In really interesting ways because uh, that standing on the porch, like that. Yeah. Just. Oh my god. They really tie into into. You know what I love about that shot, and and so whenever they're establishing his daughter, mm-hmm. and they're walking all through the woods, and he's talking with like this teacher mm-hmm. or whoever it was, and. The teacher's like, hey, you know, this is really great. Uh, he's like, oh, yeah, uh, my daughter, you know, is blah, blah, blah. You know, she's she's a really great at whatever. And he's like, oh, well, you know, how old's your daughter? Maybe maybe I'll have her in class at some point. He's like, oh, no, she's, she's not here anymore. You know, she lives with her mom. And then he, he just scuttles off. He's like, I don't want to. That's as far yeah. as I want to go in that conversation. Yeah. And then the his deputy comes along and he's like, his daughter's dead. Yeah. You know, he was, he was lying to you, maybe lying to himself a little bit, but still living in the presence of his daughter to him. Yeah. It's an active memory. It's not a dead memory, but they don't hit you over the head with it throughout the film. They save it for that moment at the end, because now you have an understanding of why he's so intent on, on finding will because he understands what it's like. And that moment, what is that? Episode eight, whenever they're going to find Will, uh, they're journeying through the, uh, the underworld or the upside down. And he, they're playing those flashbacks of his daughter. Finally, oh. we're getting to see those moments. Yeah. Yeah. And they're trying to resuscitate Will. Yeah. Man, that's just a beautiful dovetail yeah. of earned emotion mm-hmm. and, uh, character depth because yeah. now we, completely understand the, the his character drive in a new emotional way that we already knew the hints at. So, I mean, there's just so much that goes into season one that I think is just beautifully layered in a, in a nuanced way that they don't try too hard at any point. It just kind of seems to just happen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, they, they dedicate the time to the, the characters, to each character, you know, so, so, you can you have a chance to understand them. You don't necessarily need to fall in love with them. They're not trying to make you do that, but they're trying to give you like like you said, a reason why he's kind of an ass. Why you know, he, yeah, or, totally. Or a reason why um um Will's mother is so protective, you know, or whatever. And you brought up so you brought up that, that porch scene where yeah. he wakes up in the middle of the night and he walks outside and he's just kind of staring at the 
the the misty lake and the chick he's seeing wakes up and is like, hey, what are you doing? It's cold out here. There's this beautiful composition that they do. And I actually, for this episode, and I might do it for past episodes and episodes going forward, I created uh, a visual companion for this episode um, of The Pestle that you can find at thepestlepodcast.com slash stranger things. And I have this image up and I've laid laid over it the uh, the rule of thirds which awesome. is the idea of kind of draw a tic-tac-toe grid over your screen where you have columns and rows that are equidistant from each other. Mm-hmm. And if you do that in the scene where they're outside talking, you'll see that Hopper is in the middle and this woman that he's seeing is in the left. And there is this big empty space on the right because there's someone else that's supposed to be there that isn't, which is his daughter. Yeah. Um, and it's such a beautiful, simple composition that in a very subtle way, right. Just kind of underscores the, the emptiness that he's feeling and that he's dealing with. Yeah. So there's, they do several things like that throughout the, the first season that I don't get a sense of, uh, throughout the second season. It's, it's, I'm glad that you liked that scene because literally, because I haven't, I only watched the first season once wow. when it came out. I haven't watched it since. Wow. And I only remember a, like a handful of, of right. scenes yeah. until you talk about them and remind me of them. <laughs> right. But that one was like the main one that I remembered because I, I kind of expected something mm. to happen, but nothing happened. Like, and it was, and they hung on it. Yeah. From what I remember, they hung on it like super long. Yeah. And just left it. And it was, it was, I love when that is, that kind of thing is placed in the right time and, and for the right reason. And that was just fantastic. That's a good point too, because I mean, I can't remember the way I felt watching it for the first time, but you can through that kind of composition, create this dread of, is there going to be something that fills up that space? Right. And so maybe that's more specifically what they were going for. And it just kind of works on multiple levels. Yeah. Uh, I mean, maybe, I mean, maybe it's just an easy way also. I mean, if we want to say like, like, why'd you do this? Well, mm. just cause of this, yeah. maybe it's just an easy way to give him some character depth. Yeah. Like, right. There. Just like, instead of, instead of saying anything, instead of talking about your, your daughter who died, let's just let you be quiet. Yeah. In a quiet place where she would probably normally be with you. You know, yeah, like that's it because we've already established that she's gone. So we're just going to give you 30 seconds and that's your character development yeah, right there, you know? And then, so for the rest of the season, it doesn't matter. You could be yeah. a total ass, you know, and, and like, yeah. like uh, do like really stupid stuff, but we understand because you had that 30 seconds, yeah. you know, and it's so, on yeah, so many other either. I mean, I would say mostly in shows rather than movies, but but mostly in sh- in other shows like this, they just de- they develop characters with words only, and that's fine, and that can you know a lot of times that works, but a lot of times it alienates me as a viewer because 
like we've talked about before, I'm not stupid. I can get it. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to explain everything to me. And I don't want everything explained to me. In fact, don't explain anything to me. Yeah. Let me figure it out. Yeah. And then, um, so it gives me, it, it respects me as a viewer, but also it's like, it's a little harder to figure out how to do it the, without words. And so when you do it without words, I, I, it, it resonates with me a little bit more yeah. because I know you thought about that. Like that wasn't just something like, Oh yeah, that's right. We got to develop Hopper a little bit more. What do we do? Oh man, let's just have him tell somebody what, you know, what's going on, which is what happened in yeah. season two. Uh, let's just have him tell somebody what's going on. And then there you go. Uh, no, it's like, okay, how are we going to develop him? Okay. This is what we're going to do and do that. Um, just put a little bit of thought into it. And it was, uh, yeah. Yeah. No, that's a really good point too, because they have all these really significant ways of communicating the sense of loss that people are dealing with. Mm-hmm. Um, Joyce Byers, uh, Will's mom, right? She's clearly on the edge of sanity oh, man. over losing her son. Yeah. And you have all these great little flashback triggers. I love her sitting in Castle Byers, and the way they introduce us to that scene is. He's already in there. And oh, it's yeah. like he's home. And it's yeah. like, oh, for you. I love these little glimmers of hope that sometimes yeah. you get to realize, oh, we're not actually. Yeah, this, this is, is memory. Yeah. And I love exploring that little moment and then finding out, oh, yeah, that's a memory. And she's sitting in there right now. And that contrast gives you oh. such a good look at her, the way she's feeling right now. And yeah. like you said, you don't need extra words for yeah. that. Now yeah. we just need to look at her. Yeah. And whether. And P.S. How good is Winona Ryder? God. She's amazing. I mean, in both episodes, uh, yeah. both seasons, yeah. just incredible. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, I've, I, I've never said, yeah, Winona Ryder is an amazing actress. Right. I, haven't, I haven't thought that she was bad, but right. I never, she it was never anything that was like just blew my socks off. This mm-hmm. blew my socks off. She was. Yeah. I wanted more of her. Yeah. You know, she was great. She is. She's really wonderful. Um, and I'm same camp as you. Like, I can't think of ever, like, I, I still haven't seen Girl Interrupted, which may be her shining moment. Yeah. But you go look at something like Beetlejuice, and I'm like, yeah, she did a great job. She played the role, and yeah. I believed. And Scissor hands, brother. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Scissor hands, too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So she, yeah. she was great, but she's like, great. But, but yeah, she's not moving the needle. Yeah, yeah. And here, like, they gave her a really tough role um, because yeah, to play a character who's at a 90 the entire time. Yeah, I was, uh, yes. That's exhausting, Dude, man. absolutely. <laughs> I was sitting there thinking, oh my God, two seasons of her just freaking the heck out. <laughs> like, oh man, that's, just, yeah. You're asking a lot. Asking a lot. And she delivered she really every does. episode. So you just finished season two. Uh, yeah, what's your, what's your feeling? <laughs> well, we, well, we know you like season one. Yeah. Um, and I like season one a lot. Uh, so when when I got to about episode seven, or started at the beginning of episode seven, is I think when I, last time I talked to you about it. Mm-hmm. And I think I said, okay, season one, a lot happened. Or at least I felt like a lot happened, yeah. probably because I was trying to figure things out the whole time. Um, which makes having a good season two really difficult, especially when you're dealing with the same thing. So like you already know about the Demogorgon. Um, 
you already know about the rift or whatever it is the the, the portal mm-hmm. um uh you already know uh, about the upside down you know about 11 and her you know powers all the characters know about the other characters and the the bad guy and the bad guy knows about them and like so it's hard i will uh, let me i'm going to preface everything i'm saying with the fact that yeah. that is hard you yeah. know it's hard to make something you know it's like all oh, that matrix mystery. 2 right. you know like yeah. i mean the the first one like yeah how do you how do you replicate that you yeah. know um so but with that said um i told you i told you i was like man season 2 really needs to deliver something because yeah. not a whole lot is happening for me and that at least it's making me think mm-hmm. that's not that's like it's not you know making me question like what's happening or right. whatever so i said i said the payoff needs to be pretty good yeah um and it fell flat yeah. for me uh i the acting was great um there, i mean there were some moments where just like oh, those are kids yeah. you know um and they'll get better yeah. But for the most part, they were just great and lovable, and you yeah. just really loved them. Um, I, there were some shining things that I I liked a lot, like the old boyfriend who turned out to be the hero, Steve. Steve, just, I loved I loved Steve by the end of it. At yeah. first, I was like, God, Steve, go away. <laughs> Steve, he's still, uh, but no. By the end of it, I was like, Yeah, I like this guy. I love his development and and that he grew up he totally grew up and like let her go and 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 that was great but they i don't i'm not going to say that they got lazy on it i really don't think that they did i don't i think they really tried but um uh they didn't have it they started i watched a little bit of the the uh oh, the little panel the, the panel afterwards because they have like, I don't know, I think they have like nine episodes of the panel, oh, wow. which is like 25 minutes long for each. And I only, I only watched like 15 minutes of it. But they did say in uh, that they started on season two before they got, before season one was released. So season one was picked up and was shot and they were putting it out, but they hadn't put it out yet. And so, but Netflix, hard at work. Netflix wanted them to, to start on season two. So, well, that's discouraging. And, and they, well, I will say they said on the panel, they said, um, so we wanted to, we wanted to do something to, uh, um, allow us for another few seasons. So, I mean, I, I think it was pretty obvious at the end, there's right. going to be another season. Mm-hmm. Spoiler. Still dealing with this monster. Still dealing with this monster, which is, I mean, I don't know what you're going to do. You know, they're writers. They'll figure something out, but I suspect that. So my, the the shortest way I can say the way I feel is one I agree with everything you just said I don't think they they shortcutted or uh, they didn't put in the effort I think they just forgot what what they did so well or maybe they just didn't realize what they did so well in season one um, that's probably a good way to say it yeah and I suspect that whatever they're gonna do in season three they really should have just did in season two. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. They should have cut down some of these subplots and some of these new characters to make it a tighter eight episodes that is otherwise now going to span like 20 episodes. Yeah. And so in, in like that what's, way, what's the point of Max's brother-in-law? Right. Or stepbrother. 
What's the point of that guy? He, there is he none. Did, nothing happens to him. He doesn't do anything but just be a, a jerk the whole time. <laughs> uh, Max doesn't really help. Mm-mm. She's just an introduced character. Yeah, she drives the car, right? She drives the car, but any kid could have yeah. driven the car. Like mm-hmm. there was, there was just I, I did like um, um, Rudy. Oh, Bob. Yeah, Bob. Yeah, Sean Aston. Thank you. I was like Sean. Yeah. Sean, Sean. <laughs> I did, I I loved him. Yeah. At first, I was like, this guy is gonna be a total D. Yeah. You know, right. Like, I thought he was like on the sly, maybe working for uh, the G Men or something. Yeah. Yeah. But he turned out to be so awesome. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, but I, I, they, I lost my. Yeah, they 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 created and added in some of these characters that contribute nothing to the storyline, yeah. and I think that. The reason is because they don't really know what their storyline is. Um, that would make sense. Because we're literally halfway through the season before we have our first real sign of danger. Yeah. We're halfway through episode five. This is a nine-episode season. And then finally, Hopper is taken by the vines, and his life is finally in jeopardy. Up until that point, the only thing we have is... We find the polywog, right? The the yeah. the demodog, yeah. um, to be, and then Will gets possessed. Yeah, those are the only two things that happen through the first uh, five five episodes, yep. and then finally halfway through the fifth episode, Hopper uh, and is exploring the tunnels is taken hostage or whatever. He's yeah. he's captured by the vines and he's about to be killed. Yeah, um, and so we really. We really have no danger. We have, whereas you contrast that with season one, we don't even get to the title opening, and we have one. Yeah. We've established that a guy is killed. Yeah, uh, one of the G-men in the lab. He gets murdered, uh, or I don't know if you can call that murder. He gets killed by the beast, yeah. uh, by the Demogorgon, and then Will is taken. Roll now. Welcome to Fit Stranger Things. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, we exactly. don't have any of that. We have no. We have no pressing concerns other than Will is having some bad uh, visions. Mm-hmm. That's it. Like we're not yeah. even afraid of. And I hated the the D'Artagnan uh, storyline, the the Dart. Um, oh I, yeah. I I feel like they were playing a lot, playing around with the uh, the Ghostbusters motif, um, maybe a little too much with. Oh, we're we're going hunting, right? We we're all on our walkie talkies, and we're hunting Slimer. Um, you have the little slimy dart, and the polywog, and so they're they're referencing Ghostbusters whenever they're first going after Slimer, their first big case, and they they capture him, but it doesn't work. He kind of befriends them, and I'm glad they didn't go too far with that, where he didn't become his straight up pet. Uh, that I I may have stopped watching the show altogether if they had done that, but they still brushed too close with the whole he we're friendly and he knows me. You're gonna tell me that other Demogorgon in any level could have been persuaded? Uh, maybe they're not reptiles, but they seem to have this reptilian facade, right? They're they're killers. Um, they don't have feelings. This isn't this isn't a dog. It looks like a dog. Don't. Give it the characteristics or personality of one. Yeah, I don't know. There's, I have. And why was it in his trash can? It just happened to be in his trash can after a year, by the way. After a year, and so and then it, and then it grows and sprouts legs within like what a few days, a week, right? It's really weird. It doesn't so make any sense. I, 
the the thing that they don't address that maybe would solve that answer is has Will this whole time been chucking up these slugs like over the past year mm. and that was a recent one or was that the only one and it's just been crawling around this whole time I mean it, they make you think that it's the only one right that that was what I was led to believe you don't see a bunch but they don't define it so I'm trying to give them some level of doubt I guess uh, yeah benefit and yeah, that does not hold much water. That's a really tough, tough thing to digest. Yeah. Um, and also why it's taken a year to for all this other stuff to develop. Like nothing this whole other time is, has crept through or they've had no other issues. Because the other issue that comes along with that is having been through all this before, people are weirdly hesitant to believe anybody. I know. <laughs> It's like, uh, come on. There was a, a beast from another dimension right. eating people. Uh, you should believe yeah. when someone says there's something weird going on. Yeah, uh, go check out the pumpkin patch. Go, Don't make him do all this due diligence. Yeah. Go, and whenever he takes it back to the G-men, uh, maybe they should take him that first word, and everybody's just kind of huffy about it. And like, no, 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 I got this. Like, everything's fine. It's yeah. It's weird and inconsistent. Uh, so do you remember after the first season, everybody like there was a, a rumor. I don't know if it was a rumor or whatever, but we th- we thought that it was like one story per season. You remember? I, or I thought that I heard that I didn't. I, I had that question and I found out pretty quickly after that first season that the second season would continue this mm. thread. Yeah. Well, I didn't. And I thought, man, that's brilliant. Yeah. Anthology, just do your own thing. Just do one, like one story per season. Because like after that, him chucking up the slug, perfect yeah. ending. Yeah. That's it. Gone. It's a very End Twilight story, Zone. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Twilight Zone. That's a great analogy for it. And um, But it just, it just didn't it didn't hold water for me either. So I, I don't know. what. So what would you give season one? What would you give season two? Season one is like an eight or a nine for me. Yeah. Um, it's really, really strong. I think visually they could have done a lot more visual effects, uh, were very, very poor with the, uh, yeah. the Demic Gorgon. Um, and just the, the whole composition framing camera movement was all very, very basic, uh, which is fine. I mean, you're trying to shoot a show probably without a lot of budget <laughs> and yeah. you need to set some standards and roll with it. But, Season two, I expected so much more because whenever I was doing that research about are they continuing this season one thread, are they carrying that over, I found out that the Duffer brothers had written like 30 pages before they ever wrote the first season. They had 30 pages of mythology centered around the Upside Down. And so I was just... Oh man! Crazy excited! Like, wow. oh, these guys have so many places to go, and they maybe got through the first page, you know, yeah. of that thirty. So I cannot wait to see what else they're going to unleash on us. So with season two, I mean, I'm going to be pretty harsh. That was like a a two for me. Wow, wow, uh, it's lower than I thought. <laughs> yeah, it was it was really yeah. humdrum TV. I don't like TV. Yeah, I'm a, I'm oh, a movie no. guy. Obviously, right. we do a movie podcast, and so. Us doing this show on this yes, podcast. This is your idea, by the way. This was my idea. Yeah. And so you would, that should be some level of indicator of the excitement that I had going yeah, in. Yeah. Um, sure. 
and expectations are always hard. Um, as you were talking about, like they did such a great job and it's, it's hard to meet those expectations, but I had them and, and they can be done. It can be done. Absolutely. They didn't do it here. Uh, it just, in some ways I, it did, it did feel a little lazy. I think they, they spent the time. So not lazy in the sense of they didn't put in the effort. I think they, it was lazy in the sense of they didn't find the same original threads that they were plucking at the first time because they gave us the, so going back to the idea of alien was season one. I think they tried to turn season two into aliens. Hmm. Whereas one was a horror. They tried to make this an action, except they didn't give us any of the action and none of it was satisfying. <laughs> none of this was satisfying. That is hilarious. <laughs> because, they give us an action without any action. Right. They gave us a drama. They gave us a drama and that was poorly executed and thought out. What, what made the drama work in season one is they didn't give us tons and tons of depth. All the depth that came was laced into the mystery and the horror. All of that was just side by side. So it was almost incidental. Oh, uh, they're about to kiss. You know, Elle and Mike are about to kiss in the, the closet or in the bathroom or whatever. And as it's about to happen, oh, they're called away. Like they have a new line uh, that they need to go check out. Uh, there's an emergency. And so all these moments are really built around the mystery and the horror as it's coming about. And it it's interwoven just flawlessly. Mm-hmm. And in season two, they're forcing us down all these dramatic rabbit holes that don't tie into the story, as you pointed out. Right. And they don't make me care anymore about the, the characters, the, and L's powers begin to feel a little bit more like parlor tricks. Man, episode is it seven where she meets? Yeah, eight, seven, where she. I hated that episode. Thank God, I did. God, I almost i I was watching it and thinking, how long is this thing? And it is boring. I did not like eight as a character at all. I did not like that whole thing of her going to the city. Who cares? You just wasted an entire episode of her going to the city for no damn reason other than Mm -hmm. to figure out the power of her powers. Like, and we already had a good idea. You don't need, you don't need to do that. You don't need to show anything grandiose, like stay in rural, wherever the hell you are, uh, Illinois. And just, I mean, I don't know. Be more creative guys. Cause that was, that was brutal episode. It really was. I think, but I think that they think it was important because they they hearken back to that with uh, Papa, her flashbacks of Papa saying those things uh-huh. uh, that she has a something that's going to eat away at her and kill her or right, whatever. When yeah. she, as she's you know patching up the hole to the other to the un, upside right. down. Yeah. Oh man, it was it, brutal. It was because. It, all those emotional beats don't work in the season. I think largely because they just didn't have, we don't really have an adversary uh, this season. Is it the shadow monster? Because we never deal with them. Is it the demodogs? Because that's just a B version of what we had in the first season. And they're, we still don't understand where they came from. We don't even know where the tunnel came from, by the way, yeah. who dug that thing. Yeah. Oh, I have no idea. Um, is it, I mean, we don't really even have a bully. We have Billy 
she's only mean to Max, who we're just starting to get to know. Um, is it Will? Is Will the enemy? Because Will is the biggest enemy out of everybody. Right. But he's the one that kills most people. Him, right. <laughs> is it? Is it more metaphoric? Is it loneliness? Is it mistrust? Is it, are those the adversaries? Um, it's and so we don't have a very clearly defined enemy that gives us any of the of the rules and of the uh, the boundaries that we need to make a really good sci-fi horror film. Um, any good horror film for sure, but even a sci-fi film gives you a sense of the uh, the boundaries and the borders that you're playing within your sandbox so to speak. And we get none of that. We don't have any good adversaries. We don't have any satisfying conclusion because you have, if Will is our bad guy, then what we're really dealing with is a possession uh, film. And right. that's a really hard film to do. Uh, the Exorcist, I haven't seen, but it, it does its own thing because it's a, it's a large departure from... Uh, Christianity, like it had a, had its moment in time for very specific reasons, and it goes into some uh, really dark places. We don't go into any dark places in this film or in this uh, season, and it's not visually satisfying. Casting out a, a demon is not visually satisfying, and neither is closing a door, yeah. which is all she does at the end is close the gate. Right. None of that is visually satisfying mm-hmm. um, and much less emotionally satisfying. It's one of the reasons why Christian films suck. <laughs> like, <laughs> you want to make a good Christian film, uh, fine, but it, it's all subsurface in, in very uninteresting ways. Yeah, there's um, no answers. There's no answers. And this film, there's no, they're, they're trying to build a, a season full of character arcs. But they, it falls flat because, one, the character, that's not their strong suit. We don't need new characters in this, in this show. I would have been happy if they had chopped out Billy. I liked Max. Honestly, I really liked Max. I liked what she was doing with the group in terms of the, the love triangle that they were kind of creating. That kind of worked for me. Yeah. I really, honestly, I mean, I think it's cool she ends up with Lucas. But honestly... I liked her interactions way more with Mike. Oh yeah. That sure. was real electricity. Yeah. And I, I mean, I guess I appreciate that they didn't go there, but all these threads that I hated all the extra family members. Like I don't need to see Dustin's mom. I yeah, don't need to meet cares? Lucas's family. Um, none of that added anything. And it felt like they were just trying to take up screen time. They were just saying, how can we fill up a season Instead of saying, how can we maximize every minute that uh, we're, we're having people invested in our show? Yeah. And it's the, the humor was a huge departure this time. It was very hokey and cornball. Um, it was much less incidental to the characters in season one, right? Uh, all those funny moments were, were birthed out of the characters themselves. It was, Hey, we need to manipulate this teacher into giving us this information. And the way they're going to do it is use his own verbiage against him. Why are you closing this curiosity door? <laughs> you know? Yeah, absolutely. That's hilarious. Yeah. Um, because it's manipulative uh-huh. in, in a really quirky way that you can see is central to these characters' inner lives. 
And in season two, what do you have? You have a Fabio moment? I th- yeah. Oh, my wow. God. That was terrible. I think we meet everyone's parents, too. Oh, God. I think you're right. Everyone's parents. Yeah. Like, they all have at least a scene. I don't need to see their... I don't need that. They don't... It's it doesn't adding. do any. It doesn't add anything, so it takes away from it. Yeah, it just is. There's no reason for it. We have. I mean, if you think, if you look at a a past podcast we did on it, mm-hmm. we do meet some parents in that film, but it is all about the kids. Mm-hmm. It is 100 percent about the kids, and and but and there we- are so many kids in the show. I don't need to see 12 sets, like 12 different parents. Right. It's so bad. Um, and then you have the, the, the journalist uh, thread that felt unnecessary. So I would have cut that out too. The, oh, the conspiracy theorist guy. Yeah. That was so long. All and useless. I mean, how about a scene where you, where he's kicked out of the, 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 um, I'll tell you how they do it. This is how you do it. He's kicked out of the, the, the police office or the police station again, right? And mm-hmm. he's super frustrated. They find him on the street. They, they take him in an alley. They tell him everything, but you don't hear any of it, but they tell him everything. He's like, water it down. Do this. Whatever. Boom. It's a 30-second shot. You have the answer what they do. You don't need to have Even them. better, honestly, cut them out entirely. And have that just be a conversation between those two. They figure that out. Yeah. Okay, She's fine. smart. Sure. She's Absolutely. intelligent, and yeah. he's a great soundboard. Mm-hmm. It could have easily have been they're at the party, and he's drinking, and that he's the one getting drunk and smashed, and she's the one who realizes that's how he gets this message out. Yeah. Like, it could have easily have been yeah. very core to— You should be a director. <laughs> <laughs> it could have it's it's all very doable but the problem is they wanted the drama this season not a mystery not a horror film um not a sci-fi and so this whole season drama is propelling the narrative instead of we're being pulled into the drama through the uh, the narrative of a mystery or 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 a yeah. monster so now instead of these really well-earned moments like we started the show with or throughout that season, you know, when someone gets nabbed, it's tied into the rules of the game. We're learning. It's all used. None of it's fodder. All of it's kindling. And this season, instead of having those moments of, oh, well, Barb got killed because, you know, the blood. I remember she cut her hand and that drew him and now that's propelling our, our investigation. Instead of having those beautifully earned moments that that dovetail into the story itself. We have all these unearned, eerie, ambient jump scares, right? The the crow jumps out in the the pumpkin patch. Um, The music is is triggering the the suspense. And none of that works. It's, It's not inherent to the story, and none of it is earned. And And so whenever you get into those moments of she's trying to pull the bus, well, now you just have a cheerleader who's trying to, who's only there to be significant for the the end of the ninth episode. Right. That's the only reason why they're there. Yeah. It's much more creative. Yeah. <laughs> and so all of our characters are reactive 
through this entire season. In season one, they were all proactive. Mm-hmm. They were going after something. Not not here. Um, also hated how Elle lost her killer edge. She yeah. and and I can see that they maybe were trying to soften her through Hopper, like, oh, well, she's learning to be civilized or what have you. But it doesn't work because one, like I said earlier, she's got parlor tricks now. She's not a uh, a psionic, but she she never has to recover anymore. Yeah, and she doesn't have to go into the water. She doesn't need the tank. She just needs a blindfold. Yeah, like we haven't earned those those extra layers of power because she does that and then she goes to get her training. No, that's that's not how that works. You get stronger after your training. That maybe should have been something that Hopper was exploring with her. Like these are things that you do. Now let's explore how to hone those because uh, your emotions are entangled with your power and we need to help yeah. you compartmentalize so that you can control that. That's like wizard 101 kind of stuff here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then the last storyline, I not maybe this is the last. I don't know. I could probably yeah, keep no. killing. We don't want to beat a dead horse here. I kind of do. So <laughs> the, other, <laughs> the right. other thing that Go for it. irritated the hell out of me was the story of the undertones or overtones of racism that they were alluding to with Billy oh, and yeah. Lucas. Yeah. Like there's, I, first of all, I love addressing that stuff. I think if, if you want to hear like, go watch Fruitvale station and have your heart ripped out of your chest, there's plenty of opportune times and moments to, to, ha- to treat that. And here it felt like they didn't really address it. They just used it as, like, oh, hey, this is a real thing, which I'm very much a person who loves taking on really difficult content. But I also think there's there's a time to let people kind of check out. And at no point have I ever felt like this show was a, was a good method or uh, avenue for, for social topics like that because they don't do a good job of addressing it and dealing with it. And instead, I feel like minorities are just kind of reminded like, oh, yeah, people hate me still. (laughs) People are still (laughs) hateful about me. And so you're put on edge without any really good resolution. Yeah. And that's really frustrating as a viewer to be like, are you going to address this and actually have a satisfying conclusion? Or are you just going to hint that there's still shitty people out there? Um, And now we're just going to keep going because guess what? Billy, which I think is a really cheesy way that they were saying Billy Badass. That's his character. He's a Billy Badass. Hmm. Um, He beats the crap out of Steve, who's our guy. Yeah. (laughs) Because at that point, like, yeah, we have fallen in love with Steve. (laughs) Like, he's he's doing really great with these kids. He's taking Dustin under his wing. Yeah. um, And he's looking out for – he's sacrificing his life, right? He goes outside the bus to take on uh, the demidogs. Yeah. Like, he's – He's amazing. I'm rooting for this guy for the first time. Um, and yet, here we are. Like, At first, I didn't think that was going to happen because he, he, hit, he hit him. Yeah. And then... Billy. Billy, sorry. And then Billy swung back and he ducked and, and missed him. And, and then he like, hit him again. Yeah. And, you know? 
And I was thinking, okay, this is going to be a good fight. This is going to be awesome. And then he just like beats the crap out of him. Like, no need for it. No. No, no. need for it. <laughs> like, yeah. And so in a number of ways, I just think they they got in their own way. Somehow, some way, I, I couldn't even begin to figure that out. But season one is eminently rewatchable. I can rewatch that every year and still get emotionally satisfied and still hang on those those moments that I know the resolution to because it's so well executed and built and thought through. Season two is an utter mess and um, and it sucks. I'm sorry, but it's that's the first S word I've heard you say <laughs> on this podcast. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Because I avoid saying that. Yeah, of course. But you know what? It this, needs to be said. It needs to be said, and I feel okay saying it because I think these guys are great. They came out of nowhere last year. Yeah, yeah. absolutely nowhere, and created something incredibly iconic. And so I know what they ha- what they're capable of. Yeah. Um, so you're calling them out and saying, yeah, in my own tiny brothers, nobody way. You got better in you. <laughs> yeah. Give it to us, yeah. please. I was encouraged whenever they were going to take longer than a year to give us the, the next season. I was like, oh, that just means they want to do it right. Because you see this happen in video games all the time where they're like, oh, yeah, we, we had this target date, but it's just not ready yet. Yeah. Good. Yeah. I don't care if you got to start from scratch. Yeah, like, make it good. Make it good. Yeah, I'd rather wait for two years for something good than one year for something crappy. 100%. Yeah. Every time. The last, so I'm, I think I'm done trashing the story. I want to just bring up too the the idea that the production value I think kind of went down in in a lot of ways. Uh, the effects were still on par, and in some cases, uh, really cool. I liked all the uh, the shadow monster uh, shots of him in the distance, and it's this huge towering thing. I thought all that stuff was cool, but I had really big expectations that they were going to have bigger budget and they were going to get away from this from this basic stuff. We're going to do dolly moves in and out. We're going to do establishing close-ups, mediums, zoom dolly ins, and you know, in the important moments, um, I thought they're going to get away from all that, which it worked for season one because I watched what Aziz Ansari did between master of none season one and season two. And that is freaking wildly different nine day. They're going to be getting some Emmys for their, they did for their production work. Oh, they got all the oh. Emmys for their writing, which writing. was well deserved. Um, but oh well, I guess that the season's already passed. I hope they got a bunch of freaking Emmys for their <laughs> for their production work. Yeah, um, because that's what you do with a budget. You sit down, you take your time, and and I don't know. Maybe it's because they yeah. they didn't have any great. Well, do you story. think that? Do you think that it was? It had something to do with. Uh, it being set in the eighties, the early eighties, and so they were going to film it like you would film in a, a movie in the early eighties. There's a lot of do- like you said, a lot of dolly moves. If I don't know, I'm, I mean, if if you if you would make the case that the way they're going to make an eighties TV show, yeah, that's pretty much what they did. Yeah, um, yeah, but not not like a a better production. Netflix has the cash, and I have. 
no doubt that they would have given these guys whatever they wanted after the mega breakout success that was season yeah. one. Yeah. There's no way they wouldn't just be ultra supportive because that's what's amazing about Netflix is they give so much creative license to their creators. Yeah, They're not like a Fox or a network studio who's just going to look through their scripts and say, nope, change all this. I don't understand the storyline. Can you make it sexier? Yeah, for they just her? give money and they say, go do. Go do. Yeah. And any feedback, the way I've always heard it is, any feedback they do give is actually really, really helpful. And it's good quality creative feedback. Sweet. And it's... How do we get on that payroll? Oh, God. You tell me. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. If anybody knows, pestlepodcast.com. Right. Let us know. Okay, so let's let's jump out of the the bashing for a second and okay. talk about the title sequence yes what i love about the title sequence is it's real it's real wait go in and go go on about that they shot it it's How not they, it's not it's not like like a like just text that you make in after effects or anything Ooh. they actually made that with lights and uh, uh lettering and they moved it it's all Whoa. it's all manually done. That's freaking cool. Yeah, and I don't know how they did. I don't know all the details of how they yeah. did it, but just knowing that that uh, you know, in it's like in this day and age, going into a, uh, a, a a record studio and recording to tape. Yeah, and you know, I'm a sucker for analog. Yeah, yeah, you don't need <laughs> like you don't need to do that, mm-hmm. right? But when you watch that title sequence, immediately you feel like. I don't know, like warm and fuzzy yeah. and yeah. Cause it's red. I get it. But like, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of furry yeah. for lack of a better term yeah. on the edges and, mm-hmm. and grainy. And like, you can see the, the, as, as the, like the light moves inside the letters and you can see it and kind of like, it almost has texture to it. You know, I almost want yeah. to touch my screen a little bit, you know? And I love it too, because for a number of reasons, the first of which is we've talked about you know a number of times a good title sequence uh, sets you into the world. It takes you out of whatever your day was, and it says, here's the rhythm, here's the pacing, here's what you're going to be experiencing. And it does that really, really great. And it's so watchable. It takes its time. It has this, the great synthy 80s music. Um, it has all the, the, the type fonts, you know, that are retro and... It's just very watchable at the same time. So it's got the soothing thing about it that kind of takes off your guards. But what I also like is I think, I think there's a little symbolism that they're interlacing into the title itself. If you look at the, in Stranger, the R, the A, and the N all interlink. Yes. Yes, I was going to say that. And the G is pressing against it, but it's not connecting. Um, and then you have like the E that lightly brushes the G, but it doesn't connect. None of those connect at the bottom other than the R and the A in the end. Um, and I think it's a little symbolic. It, I think it's saying that those are the three friends, R-A-N, are Mike, Lucas, and Dustin. And they're all connected. And then you have the G, which could represent Will. Or it could represent 11, just depending on which way you want to go. But let's say it represents Will. It's pressing and it can't connect. It's trying to. It's trying to reach out, but it just can't connect. And if you look look at the, the things, underneath that G is another G, and it's pressing too. And I think that's symbolic of the upside down. 
Mm. He's trapped in the upside down and he can't get to his friends. And then maybe the, uh, the E on the end uh, is L, is 11. And she's the connective tissue. She's going to be the one that's going to help just bring them in. And so I think that's really cool. I think you could also make the case that L is the G and she has kind of the dual, the duality of she has a presence in, in the upside down and she's still going to be the one that bridges the gap between Will and the, his friends. Yeah, so I think that's just a, even if it's not true, I think it's really freaking cool that you can create all these interesting symbolic gestures about your story and your show that are visually taking place, whether it's in your title scene or, you know, anywhere else throughout your film. But I just love, you know, that's, that's the kind of stuff that I, I look yeah. For, and that, like the whole eighties transition of it, like the, oh, the, yeah. the title of the, of the, the episode just coming towards the camera and you go into the lettering. Cause that like, takes, that takes a forethought. You already know, okay, we're going to be in an establishing shot and then we need to hold the shot for a certain amount of time before we execute our camera move. Right. Just for this title sequence. Yeah. Uh, and it all plays and ties in and it takes a lot of pre-production and planning and, and thought. Yeah. Yeah. It's really awesome, man. <laughs> so freaking cool. It's such great music too. Yeah. Just sets the scene, sets the tone. <laughs> so good. I'm going to find the, I'm going to find the video where they talk about, the um how they created the the title sequence oh yeah and and we'll post it on the awesome we'll put it in the show notes the show notes badass i think the last thing that i'll touch on is the uh the lighting i thought it was interesting in the in in season one i didn't get a strong sense of anything in season two but in season (laughs) one uh i love that you had all this soft diffuse lighting this natural lighting a window light very daylight balanced coloring uh, for for the normal scenes. The dramatic scenes always seem to have harder lighting. You had this hazing, um, like the window shades would create these streaks of light. And the way you do that, the way you create all that flashlight, you know, beams kind of striking around, it's called hazing. You you let loose either some smoke, um, some very light smoke that you let drift throughout the scene, not so thick that it actually looks like smoke, but it's in the scene. And now it's kind of diffusing the light in your scene itself. Um, and it's creating all these interesting light beams throughout the scene. I love their use of that here because it, it really fits the motif of a mystery and a horror film to a T. I mean, go look at Blade Runner, right? Sci-fi film and it's noir and it's got, it's noir sci-fi, right? And it's got super hard beams throughout the entire film. And so it's it's very purposeful, it's very intentional, and I think they execute it really cool, whereas you step into the, the deprivation, deprivation tank where she's in the water scene, right? I can imagine they don't, I haven't, if you, if you haven't noticed, I haven't listened to the panel. I don't do a lot of behind-the-scenes watching uh, for this show specifically. I might do it if I just get interested in something, but I don't like to prep for the show just because I want to, I want to kind of take my shots and have my own thoughts without it being interrupted with other actual dialogue or someone's review. And so if I were to do that deprivation tank, I think I might just do a lot of it's top light. They do a lot of top lighting that's looking straight down. And I can imagine they don't green screen it that maybe they just they're in a studio. They fill up this tank and you have one light 
and it's super bright so that the exposure that you need to have is, is pretty, you need to be really wide open so that everything that isn't touching that light is just pitch black. <laughs> like you can't see it. Yeah. I was uh, always wondering how they're doing that. That's, that's how I think I would do it. I think, uh, it's really cool. And they probably were really inspired by under her skin, which yes. is like a oh mirror of it. Right. Yeah. That's the first thing I thought. Yeah. When I, yeah. And which is, a, I really love that film personally. Yeah. Um, and worth watching for sure. It's really messed up. <laughs> yeah. It's wildly messed up. Um, but that's how I think I would do it. And then in certain scenes, like uh, in season two, whenever she goes to, to see Will and, and his little blanket fort that he had created for her, at that point, you got to do some other things, like uh, because the top light isn't going to reach them because of the blankets. And so at that point, you need to side light it or front light it, I guess, uh, bring in some extra lighting. But I love that kind of stuff. I love the dark room in the first season where you have all this red lighting. You have these blown out highlights in the bulb. And I think that's probably all in camera. I think they probably like shut off all that red lighting and take a color balance on like a flashlight or maybe the uh, fluorescence in the room. Like, okay, here's white now cut off everything, but those red lights, boom. And that way you get a really true color balance of what you're trying to achieve because otherwise what might happen is you get in post and those guys are like, okay, we don't know what the red is supposed to be. So you might jack up the red <laughs> by doing that. Oh yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. 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 So I think there's some really cool stuff that they, that they do in the lighting that, uh, is simple, replicatable and effective for sure. So in, in essence, we, the recommendation we would make to uh, the brothers is go simple. Go man. simple. And don't forget your formula of create a crisis, create questions. You have this gigantic universe that you know, you've apparently built. If you've got 30 pages of, of backstory and mythology, tap into that. Right from the get-go, create the crisis that creates the questions that you can slowly build out. And don't forget to create your adversary. Yeah. We and don't, you, there's no need to introduce us to the characters that already exist or to new ones. I don't want to meet anyone else in season three. I don't have any room for anyone else in my brain. Leave them all out. In fact, you can get rid of a few. That's fine. Don't. <laughs> Don't catch me up on how they've been over the last year or two years. Just get right into it. Yeah. And I would and make seven episodes. Make six. Hell, I don't care. But make them full of shit that I will like and yeah. that I will be be like chomping at the bit to stay up all night and finish the whole thing immediately. Yeah. The like the only reason why I watched six in a row was because I was on my bike in my garage for five and a half hours <laughs> and I had nothing else to do. So I watched it all. And, and just just give me give me six great episodes. You don't have to give me nine or ten. Yeah. Just six great ones and I will be happy. Yeah. Just yeah. I completely agree. Yeah. And so <laughs> with that, Wow, that was brutal. Yeah, I, that was brutal. I definitely so, could so, I like I like how you said though, like the reason why this is important. This is not just you know, when when I was growing up and you know, you had Siskel and Ebert and all the like some really great critics, 
they got a bad rap, you know, uh, like, oh, if you can't do um, critique or, or something, or if you can't do teach, if you can't teach critique, mm-hmm. I think is what <laughs> they say. Um, but I think critics play a really important role. I mean, they don't have to be a total jerk, you know? Yeah. And I think that we're doing it in a way that, yes, we're being harsh, but it's like you said, because we know that they have greatness in them. Yeah. And, and if, if people don't stand up and say, this sucks, you just wasted nine hours of my life, you know, do better next time, then they won't do better. Yeah. And, and, and so that's why this is so important to do because these are, these are stories. Stories are important stories. I mean, you know, you think of three little pigs, hmm. Uh, whatever pick yep. pick any story like like uh, mother goose the rhymes like th- those are important you they stay with you for your entire life if mother goose was uh, there was some if the three little pigs were fighting a demigorgon <laughs> I, I don't know like i mean they basically were they, yeah kind of pretty <laughs> much but it was it, it was really simple yeah you know you don't have to like beat us over the head with information Just, yeah, because my fear is that once you take this tact, this this path, it's really hard to unwind it. Right. Yeah. Like things are set in motion now where they will have to, like you said, suddenly characters aren't there, and that's okay. Like whatever you got to do to reimagine what you are going to do, do it now. Yeah. Rip that bandaid off or else, you know, you might look up in in another two seasons and say, you know, what happened? We we own the world and now suddenly uh not so much. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Yeah, in closing, not the best season <laughs> 2 uh for Stranger Things, but season 1 is fantastic. And yes. if you have not seen it, we ruined everything for you. <laughs> no, if you haven't seen it, please go watch it. Uh, it's it's a great it's a great. Uh, it's excellent. Series. It's honestly it's something that I study. Just yeah. you know, awesome from a narrative perspective. It's some of the best pacing I've ever seen in any show. Wow, um, that's, that's saying a lot. Yeah, I, I hesitate to say that there's been anything better uh, in terms of pacing. Wow. Yeah. And and that, in, that includes The Wire, which is the single best TV show ever. It includes Game of Thrones, which I am just a mega fan of. Uh, yeah, so I think season one, the pacing Breaking is bad. masterclass. What? Breaking Bad. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's moments of tension for sure. I mean, Breaking Bad is excellent. No, None I of those it. shows that we're talking it. about are obviously yeah. bad. But yeah, they did something that I thought was incredibly masterful. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go back and watch it. Maybe my next five-hour trainer ride. Yeah. <laughs> Any recommendation this oh. week? Yeah. Um, I am going to recommend The Matrix, speaking Ooh. of, because we talked about it earlier and brought it up. It was just, there was so much hype around what is this thing? I remember I, I was in college. It was, I, I think, I don't know, freshman or sophomore. And, and so sophomore. And this this thinking about what the matrix, what is, what is the matrix, whatever. And, and the advertising behind it was fantastic. That was like, all it was, was what is the matrix? Yeah. You know? And then uh, it was just really, really well done. And then you see the movie and it just blows your mind. Like, Oh my God, there's, 
maybe this world is not real. And then he starts making you ask all these questions. I didn't have, so I didn't have TV in high school. Like I had my VCR and that was basically it. And my brother says, Hey man, you need to go watch this movie. <laughs> so oh. I had zero idea of what else. Oh going my into. gosh. Wow. Like I literally got to walk into that film and knowing nothing. Well, don't, don't worry. Nobody else knew anything either. <laughs> yeah, that's that true. was that's part of the point. point. <laughs> that was part of the point. But, uh, yeah, that had to be interesting. Not even know it existed. And then going in there, God. yeah, it just rips, rips your mind apart. It was really, really good. And, uh, one of the first movies I was like, man, I liked Keanu in that role. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, and yours, I'm going to recommend under her skin. There you go. Look, yeah. We both referenced, <laughs> we both had hints. I think that should be a thing of uh, moving forward in our podcast is during breadcrumbs. Yeah. Leaving a little bitty. You don't even have to say the name of the, of the yeah. film. Just like, you know, say a word from it or something. I love that I like film it. because it's, it's slow and it can be very dry. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's a, it's not something I would necessarily call well-paced um, because it's very methodic and experimental, but it has some really interesting places that it goes, especially if you watch it and watch some of the uh, behind the scenes stuff that I did watch uh, because I do generally watch this stuff. I just don't like to do it for this show. They did some really bold things. Did they not have a script for that? Uh, not really. I think they had a bit of an outline, that's crazy. And apparently in editing, he, I can't remember the, the filmmakers, the director's name, but he had one build out of the film and just decided, you know what? I don't want that version. I'm going to create a whole new edit. <laughs> That's and, awesome. Yeah. That's how much footage and how much room there was for play in that story. How cool. But I think uh, Scarlett Johansson is really fantastic. And oh, yeah. The non-actors, there's a bunch of non-actors that they have in that film, and they do some incredible work as well. Some really interesting tactics, filmmaking tactics that they take in terms of it doesn't look like there's a camera. Sometimes when they're in public, they just mount cameras into the car or they have cameras in like a handbag. And so they're filming scenes when around the public that doesn't know that they're being filmed. And so there's just some really interesting, cool stuff like that. But I also think that it goes into some really fun places if you have the patience to sit through yeah. um, a very dry film. I think there's there's some payoff. There's payoff. There's payoff. Yeah. <laughs> payoff. Yeah. So nice. tune in next week. We are going to be doing spider-man homecoming yes um i'm excited to do that one same yeah um don't forget to subscribe leave us a note if there's a film you'd like to have us cover we'd be more than happy and like i said at the beginning if you go to the pestle slash stranger things then you'll you can leave us a note but you'll also find some visual companions because there's things that i didn't even touch on in this episode that are that are in the that's in the show notes itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, stuff like some foreshadowing at the the very final frame of the season one does some really cool stuff. Um, and there's a foreshadowing moment in the final episode that does some really cool stuff. Uh, I am intrigued. Yeah. So even Todd is going to. I'm going to go to the out. show notes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So tune in. Awesome. 
Great. Uh, all right. So we're going to leave you with a quote of the day. Uh, let's see. What'd you pick this week, Wes? Oh, this one's by Wes Craven. <laughs> Another Wes. You don't enter the theater and pay your money to be afraid. You enter the theater and pay your money to have the fears that you already had in you when you go into the theater dealt with and put into a narrative. I love that. Yeah. Because I also think it gets to the heart of what was missing in this season versus in yeah. the sec- the first season. Agreed. And they they'd never explored any of our fears in this second season. What are we supposed to be afraid of? We're not afraid of the dark anymore. We're not afraid of what might be out there. We're not af- even afraid of the unknown. We're we're not afraid of anything. They don't explore any of that territory. And that is one of the, the core things that made the first season such a mm-hmm. rewatchable thing. Yeah. Maybe it wasn't really about fear, this episode. No. Was it supposed to be? Good question. <laughs> <laughs> I think it, they were more intent on exploring the themes of family and the yeah. themes of belonging and fitting in and yeah, it, but every other high it didn't, school. Yeah, it just didn't land. Yeah. It didn't land. That's okay. They took a shot. Didn't work. Go reformulate. That's this is I, I really Yeah, this is a really great quote. I don't I, I, I wanna chew on it a little bit, but I don't really have anything to say other than than Because he's obviously I hate, I hate being afraid in a movie theater. Yeah. I hate it. I don't like it. I because nine times out of ten, it's done in the wrong way, in a way that just pisses me off instead of actually makes me afraid because it startles me. Yeah. Rarely, I've said this before. Rarely am I scared. Right. I'm always startled. Yeah. By some loud thing in a quiet moment that I always see coming, but still scares me because it's so effing loud, <laughs> and it drives me crazy. But when. Yeah, because season one was scary. Yeah. I was scared. It was a psychological button that they were pressing. Totally. And they just kept the finger on it. Yeah. And it wasn't like annoying, like, you know, holding your sister down and tapping her on the forehead. It was was just like there always. Yeah. And that's that's fear. That's That's awesome. That makes me... Effortlessly watchable instead of kind of a a B-rate television sitcom or mm-hmm. television drama. Yeah. yeah. Stick to your strengths. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us, everybody. Um, we're going to go ahead and sign off here, but make sure to join us next week. Again, we're going to be doing Spider-Man Homecoming. And please let us know if you have a suggestion yeah. for any other um, movie or I guess we're in TV shows now, but it has to be Netflix or something that we can just digest right away. I'm not going to watch something for three years and then do a podcast on it. Sorry about it. Uh, But until then, I am Todd. I am Wes. Go watch some movies. Movies.